Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. We're uh, continuing our series, Panic Attacks, very aggressively named sermon series, uh, but I'm excited about it. I think it's one of the most tangible, one of the most practical series that we've done in a while. Um, over the course of this month, we're exploring four of the ways that panic attacks us. Four of the root causes of fear and stress and anxiety and worry, what we were just singing about. Uh, four of the things that, that we wrestle with. I wasn't here last week. Uh, Hannah and I, my wife and I, were on vacation in California. Uh, not to rub it in, but it was like 68 degrees every day, all day, which was amazing. Uh, so while I was enjoying the cool weather, you got to hear a very cool sermon from Pastor John Reeves. Do you like what I did there? Uh, he, he opened up this series, kicked off this series, and did a wonderful job talking about fear of the unknown. How sometimes the things that we're most afraid of, the things that we most wrestle with are uh, uncertainty. And the, that kind of lack of control. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about another way that panic attacks. And, and I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that our topic for tonight is something that I am really, really passionate about. Um, it's something I've become really passionate about over the last year or so. Uh, I've been learning a lot about this over the last year, and I genuinely believe in my heart of hearts that this is one of the greatest challenges of our time. One of our greatest enemies, and it's hurry. Hurry is one of the greatest challenges of our time. I really, really believe that. And we're going to see the danger of hurry in our scripture, the result of a hurried life. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, you can pull those out. We're going to go ahead and jump straight in to our scripture for tonight. We're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11. This is just the first 11 verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. Hear the word of our Lord. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Round and round the wind goes, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they continue to flow. All things are wearisome. More than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. The people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. Okay. If you're anything like me, you read that scripture and thought, wow, that's a, that's a super bummer. And you probably thought that because it's true. This is not our typical uh, preaching scripture. This is not one that we run to all the time uh, to, to preach. Uh, because really, it's 11 verses of the author complaining. 
He says, everything in life is hevel. That's that word. Here it's translated as vanity. Some other places it's translated as meaningless. Other places it's, it's translated as, as smoke. But he says, everything in life is meaningless. It's all vanity. I actually love verse 2, that verse uh, in the message translation, Eugene Peterson's version. He says, smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. What's there to show for a lifetime of work, a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone? Again, this is not exactly the kind of message we're, we're used to from Scripture. The author here is, is wrestling with the meaning of life. And he's at the end of his rope. He's going through an existential crisis, and he never really offers us much hope. His last thought in this scripture is that he won't be remembered, that nobody will be remembered, that nobody's going to care about his life. Again, it's kind of a bummer, and it's okay to feel that and, and, and think that, because that's kind of the nature of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is this work of wisdom literature written by an author who is referred to as Coelette. Now, some people think that this is a pseudonym for King Solomon. Other people uh, argue that, that the writer of Ecclesiastes has been lost to time. But whoever wrote it, we have a man who is working through a profound internal struggle. And really, at the end of the day, it's simple. He's burnt out. He's been running the rat race of life. He's been in this big hurry, and he's come to the conclusion that what he's been chasing all along is smoke. He can't grab it. He can't take it. It's intangible. And he doesn't know what to do. And Ecclesiastes is actually a wonderful, beautiful book. Uh, it's, it's this extended struggle that you watch him think through and process. Um, and it's one that I actually tell people to read all the time. Because how many of us can relate to this? How many of us have been here? We hurry and we rush and we run and it leads us to the place that our author is. Burnt out and exhausted and struggling to find meaning in it all. I said this already, but I really do believe that hurry is one of the great challenges and enemies in our lives. I know that it has been for me in the last year or so. Um, I have found myself in a very similar place to Coalette at times this year. And really, throughout my whole life, <laughs> this spirit of hurriedness has always been one of my great challenges. And one of the things that really crystallized that for me this, this year was a book that I read called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this book, I think, before in sermons, uh, but I loved it, and so I highly recommend it. Uh, and I especially just love that title. It gives you pretty much everything you need. Uh, and the story behind the title is a great one. It comes from a conversation between John Ortberg, the famous pastor and author. Uh, you may have read his books. And, his, and a conversation he had with his mentor and his friend, Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was a professor at USC for like 40 years, one of the most widely regarded modern theologians and philosophers, brilliant, brilliant man. Well, anyway, John Ortberg was uh, having lunch with his friend, Dr. Willard, and, and he asked him a, a very calculated question. He said, what do I need to do to become the me I need to be? It's a, it's a broad question. <laughs> 
What do I need to do to become the me I need to be? And Dallas Willard paused. And he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Of all the the things that this brilliant man, this philosopher could have said, of all the advice he could have given, and he chooses to say that you must eliminate hurry. This is important because hurry is a serious enemy for us. Dallas Willard knew it. Corey Ten Boom knew it. If you don't know who Corey Ten Boom is, she's a, another wonderful author. She was a Holocaust survivor, a great leader in the Christian movement. And she has a great quote. She says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Dallas Willard knew it. Corey Ten Boom knew it. They knew that hurry is one of the most serious spiritual adversaries that we have. It's one of the greatest ways that panic attacks. And yet, it's, it's one that often goes ignored. Because I think we think this is just the rhythm of the modern day. This is just how life works now. It's just what I've got to deal with. It's the result of a culture that I find myself in, and I have no other choice but to live a hurried existence. We tell ourselves that, and then we end up in that same place as the author of Ecclesiastes, lost and struggling and burnt out. Scholars have have actually recently began to call this hurry sickness. You can look this up. This is a real thing. Hurry sickness. It's defined as a kind of malaise in which a, a person feels chronically short of time and tends to perform every task faster and faster gets flustered when they encounter any kind of delay. Here are 10 symptoms that psychologists give for hurry sickness. I'll let you evaluate yourself in your seat. Uh, Irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, workaholicism, emotional numbness, out-of-order priorities, lack of care for your body, escapist behaviors, slippage of spiritual disciplines, isolation, How many of us have been here? I think this is is, is part of what we see Coalette experiencing in our scripture. And how different are we? Not, not, Not that different, I think. Still struggling with these things. How many of us have been hurry sick? Or let me take it a step further. How much of our culture walks around every single day hurry sick? So we see the problem. We know the problem. The question is, what do we do about it? Well, unsurprisingly, I think the answer is in the life of Christ. It's in in how Jesus lived. Jesus lived an unhurried life. He was slow and intentional in the way he went about things. And we see throughout the Gospels that people are always trying to rush Jesus. They're always trying to get something from Jesus. They're trying to make him go faster and do more. The disciples, the crowds, the Pharisees. But he never lets them. Jesus was a master at using his time. And so our solution, in essence, is to be like Jesus. It's to try and unhurry our lives the way that he did. 
And so tonight, I want to give us two tangible ways that Jesus did that, and hopefully two tangible ways that we can then do that. And these are are, are two of the the ways that John Mark Comer also offers in his book. But we're going to expand them a little bit tonight. Um, The first way that we deal with hurry is with silence and solitude. This is exactly how Jesus lived his life. He oscillated between time in community and time in quiet places. Right at the beginning of his ministry, after healing several people, several sick and demon-possessed people, Scripture tells us in Mark 1 that, that Jesus goes off to a solitary place and he prays. He took time to recharge before he moved on to the next town. This was right at the beginning of his ministry. This is how he started. Or take one of the most famous miracles of all, the feeding of the 5,000. In Matthew 14, you remember, Jesus takes a loaf of bread and some fish, and he feeds 5,000 people. And they have so much left over that they gather 12 baskets of leftovers. And after this miracle is complete, Jesus goes to the disciples, and he sends them off ahead of him. And he goes up a mountainside by himself. Or right at the end of his life, before he is betrayed and arrested and crucified, Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he takes a few of his friends with him. And as they get to the garden, he stops his friends and he says, says, you wait here. And he goes off alone. And he sits with God and he cries and he prays and he listens. You know, sometimes we, we like to think of Jesus as some superhero who flew around and worked all these miracles and he was completely unaffected by all he was doing. And it's definitely true that Jesus had supernatural power. He was God after all. But he was also human. And as a human, Jesus knew that he needed to take time to recharge. He needed time between him and God. He needed a set-apart time and place for silence and solitude. And we do too. Theologian Henry Nouwen once wrote, Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. So often it's in the silence and in the solitude that we hear God's voice. I love C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters. Uh, If you've never read it or if you're not familiar with the concept, Lewis writes from the perspective of a senior demon who's trying to train up a a younger demon. And they're trying to work together and they're trying to do everything they can to corrupt this this man. And it's C.S. Lewis's brilliant attempt at talking about sin and talking about some of the spiritual challenges that we face. Well, anyway, in the book, the senior demon, Screwtape, uh, is is writing and, and he says that the devil's realm is a, quote, kingdom of noise. And he tells his young apprentice, this younger demon, that their goal, one of their greatest goals, is to make the whole universe a noise in the end. We live in a kingdom of noise. And that noise has consequences. If we live in it too long without finding time for silence and solitude, without finding time to spend with God privately, we end up in the same place as the author of our scripture. 
We end up in the same place as Coalette, frustrated and burnt out and hurry sick. Last week, uh, we spent a few days in San Francisco on vacation, and uh, we went to church on Sunday because this, that's how I vacation, I guess. And <laughs> we went to this random church that I found, uh, which my wife always loves it when I do that. I try and find the most random church I possibly can in the area, and we go. And I try and steal things if I can. Anyway, letting you see behind. No, not actually rob them, but like steal ideas. Should have clarified that. I saw a couple of your faces thinking I was robbing a church. Moving on. Uh, I went to this, this small church called Canvas, San Francisco. It was uh, about 100 in worship, and the pastor had just come back after a six or seven week sabbatical. And his sermon was pretty much about the same kind of idea. He was talking about his time on sabbatical and why he took that sabbatical. Um, he talked about he was extremely vulnerable. I mean, it was a really uh, pretty amazing sermon. Uh, but he talked about how he had come to a point earlier in the summer where he was in the worst state he'd ever been in. His mental health and his spiritual health were in bad shape, and so the church leaders had urged him to go away for the summer. And he talked about how he'd been doing group therapy and how he'd been healing. Uh, but he said one of the most powerful things that he'd started doing every single morning was he goes and he, and he sits in the same chair in his house, and he makes sure things get really quiet, and he just meditates. He listens to God. He said he would offer his authentic self to God, and, and he said a lot of the time he, he, he just repeats, God, I give you everything, which I didn't know we were doing that song, Everything, so that's just a cool Holy Spirit thing. Uh, but he says he just would repeat that, God, I give you everything. And uh, I listened to this sermon, and, and I was really moved by it uh, because I actually adopted meditation and quiet time just a few months ago myself as a tool to help my own spiritual and, and mental health um, because I noticed that I was getting to that place. I was getting to, frankly, what was not a good place. And taking time and being quiet and just spending time with God uh, privately it has genuinely made a massive impact on my life. And I have pushed this away for years. This has never been my jam. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had a professor, Dr. Ruben Habito, uh, amazing professor. I took him for three or four classes. He's been at SMU for like 40 years. He's kind of a legend. Uh, but he starts every single class with what's called being time. And so he'll, he makes you sit there and clear your mind and, and be silent. And, and he says, just be with God. Sometimes it's two minutes and sometimes it's five minutes and sometimes it's 10 minutes. And when I was in seminary, I hated this. I was like, what are we doing? This is insane. Is this what my tuition dollars are going toward? Are we, we're just supposed to sit here for 10 minutes and we're just watching the clock run out on this guy's job? I, I didn't get it. And, and I had friends who, who understood it better than I did, friends who liked it, uh, but I would tell them, look, I'm just not built that way. And it's only recently that I've realized that it's because I'm not built that way that I need silence and solitude even more. When panic attacks, one of the best things that we can do is find places of peace and quiet 
one of the best things we can do is get out of the kingdom of noise and into the kingdom that's ruled by the prince of peace. Silence and solitude. This is the first way that we deal with hurry. And the second is Sabbath. We have to learn to observe Sabbath. Now, we talk a lot in the church, and I kind of want to clear this up because a lot of times I feel like we kind of rag on Sabbath. Uh, We talk in the church about how Jesus broke Sabbath. He would heal people. He heals a man with a withered hand. He he does all these things on Sabbath. And and we talk about how he wasn't constrained by the legalism of the Pharisees. Uh, But I want to make this really clear. Jesus took Sabbath very seriously. A lot of times we we look at this scripture, Mark 2, 27. Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Here's what Jesus is saying here. God gave us a gift called Sabbath. It was made for us. And of course, no, we, we shouldn't be like the Pharisees who shamed people for breaking all of the complicated uh, Sabbath law that they had added. And, um, but, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't observe Sabbath. We don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We should absolutely observe Sabbath. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, remember, says, remember the Sabbath. But here's something cool you may not know about that commandment. Uh, Five weeks before his death, Moses assembles all the people of Israel in Moab, and he gives this parting speech, and that speech makes up the majority of the book of Deuteronomy. And one of the first things that Moses does in his final word to the Israelites was he reiterates the Ten Commandments. So we see him in Exodus 20, and then we see him again here in Deuteronomy 5. But Moses changes something. In Exodus 20, it says, remember the Sabbath. But in Deuteronomy 5, it says, observe the Sabbath. In Moses' second edition of the Ten Commandments, it's no longer remember the Sabbath, but observe it. Moses wants to make it clear that we're supposed to actually practice it. I think that word observe is important. Observe in the same way that we observe a holiday. And so we plan for it. And we get excited about it, and we make it a special thing, and we don't take it for granted. But let's be honest. How many of us actually observe a legitimate Sabbath? I will be the first one to tell you that I don't. (laughs) Rarely. Uh, Eugene Peterson, the the man who translated the message version of Scripture, writes uh, that many Christians, most Christians, practice fake Sabbath. And tell me if you can relate to this. Meaning, on the day that we're meant to rest and and pause, what do we do? We run errands. We do laundry. We clean up the kitchen. We fix the dryer. We mow the lawn. We catch up on emails. And then we call that Sabbath. That's not Sabbath. Sabbath is supposed to be nothing but rest and worship. Scripture makes that really, really clear. That was the point of all those extra laws that the Pharisees added. And I mean, at some point it got onerous and ruined it. But the point of Sabbath is only to rest and worship. God asks us to set aside one day to rest because it was made for us. It's how we're wired. 
In fact, there have been studies that, that show that once you work about 50 hours in a week, 50 hours in a single week, your productivity plummets. That's the most that human beings are capable of doing well in a single week. After 50 hours, you just don't do as well. Well, 50 hours comes out to about six days. That's six days of working nine to five. We are very literally designed to max out at six days, which leaves us with one. It's almost like God knew what he was doing when he gave us this commandment. We need Sabbath. I love what the theologian Walter Brueggemann says. He says, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. And I think that is so true. Unfortunately, it's just so rare. We just don't rest as much in 2022. Did you know that, that before uh, 1879, before the invention of the Edison light bulb, human beings slept on average 11 hours a night. The average American uh, sleeps 6.8 hours per night, which some of you probably think that sounds amazing. <laughs> we may very literally be the most tired and hurried people in history which is why we can't just brush past this message. We have to take it seriously. This is important. We need to get back to the basics. We need to live into the gifts that God has given us. The gift of being silent. The gift of finding some alone time with God. The gift of Sabbath. Because it's in doing these things, it's in living at the unhurried pace of Jesus that we will avoid finding ourselves in the same place as the author of our text. Counterintuitively, it's in slowing down that we actually make the most progress. So tonight, if you're hurry sick, if you feel that same kind of restlessness as Coalette did in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, if you find yourself headed toward that same place as that pastor in San Francisco was, I urge you not to roll your eyes like I did in Dr. Abito's class. I urge you to escape the kingdom of noise and find real rest in silence, in solitude, and in Sabbath. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? God, tonight, uh, I just want to give us a moment of silence. A moment where we just listen.
God, we thank you. We thank you for all you're doing. And God, we pray tonight that you would help us to live at the unhurried pace of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, for some of us, we we just don't know how to do that. We've been in a rush for, for years or decades, running as fast as we can, chasing, chasing things, and we, we grab it, and it's smoke. Lord, tonight, I, I pray that you would help us to slow down, to take more deep breaths. God, that you would speak to us in the silence, that you would speak to us in those quiet places that we would find time for Sabbath. God, one of the truths that we have to remember is is that you don't love us because we've earned it, because we've done enough this week, because we've accomplished enough in this life. And you love us still. God, that is really good news, and we are so grateful for that. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.